You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we get into it, let's crack into something that I promised that I would bring to this show. It is, in fact, Garage Project's Umami Monster. It's a uh, spiced herbed beer, technically, over on the uh, the beer page. D- do me a favor. Smell it straight from the bottle. Fish? A little bit. A little ocean. A little... Um... It smells incredible. It smells like a barrel-aged, um, like... Kind of sweet, pretty alcoholic. I get a lot of alcohol. There's a flair of that. Like you mentioned people pairing it. When we talked about this before, you mentioned people pairing it with um, pork ramen. I think you said, I I, kind of get a little essence of that. Okay. Uh, I get that little savory like essence. Yeah. Like (laughs) when they come with a big bowl of steaming hot ramen and you get kind of that, that ramen facial uh, going, just all of your senses are just overwhelmed with, uh, with steamy porky goodness you know oh man so on the side here i wanted to read the bottle it says it came from the deep brewed with gabs 2014 using new zealand grown kombu which is kelp japanese katsubushi dried fermented bonito flakes smoked malt and seawater in an attempt to capture that most elusive and enigmatic of flavors umami it's the the, the fifth avenger if you would uh, far beyond the boundaries of the accepted and expected. These ingredients combine to create a monster of dark, savory smoke and rich umami complexity. Dear God, what have we created? Definitely not suitable for vegans. Sorry. That's all, that's all on the side of the bottom. Quote, quoting the bottle here. I always like a, when they add a little flair to that. <laughs> all right. So I think the big question here is, um, Kyle, I know you have experience with this. Yeah. What is umami? Um, it's like love. You can't describe it in words. Um, it's, it is a flavor I do, in fact, love myself. But it's found a lot in uh, Japanese cooking. So you'll get sort of a, the flavor of soy sauce, I think, is a really great example of that. Um, it is not saltiness, but it's not pure savoriness. It's kind of somewhere in between where you're getting uh, salty, savory, sweet, um, no spice, in, in umami, but it's kind of a, a, a wild combination of all those things. I'm just here smelling it. I really need to taste it. This is, this is unlike any beer I've ever had. This is, um, it's, uh, if I could draw a direct comparison to something that I've had before, it would be to probably a casked stout, um, where you're getting a lot of these, um, a mixture of kind of th- super thin mouthfeel and alcohol um, with a bunch of like salt, not salty necessarily, but savory flavors. So anything, any beers that I've had that are casked with peppers or cocoa nibs or a- aged in oak barrels, anything like that kind of, it- it's got that same texture to me. And so I'm, I'm directly comparing it to, those experiences that I've had before, but it is still unlike anything. It's, it's very unique. Um, I get that cask. I definitely get a sense of that. So I've stored this actually at home in my, in my cellar that I mentioned, uh, in last episode. 
And it was a, it was around 55 degrees for the most part from the time of purchase until now. Um, so I think it's kept really well. I'm curious to know how this, because it is at 9.4 ABV, how this opens up throughout the episode um, and and what more what more intense flavors start to develop because a lot of umami dishes aren't cold mm-hmm. and and for this beer to be to be something cold it is almost it doesn't really match up very well it's like having if you had a, a soy sauce flavored uh, popsicle right that doesn't sound great but but as soon as this starts to warm up hopefully it starts to develop a little well then we'll have to check back later on in the show and see what changes or you'll have to just get this for yourself <laughs> If you've had this one, let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. All right, let's get into some of our community updates and some of the recent additions to the Untapped app. What did we add? This week, we've made some style updates to the Beer Styles database. Uh, we go through there every so often and trim and add and curate as best we can to keep up with the times. Let me introduce this a little bit by saying that uh, recently in a version three of the app, we introduced uh, style explainers, I guess is, is the best way to say this, where you can tap through to a style on a particular beer page. So if you tap the blue link of the style on the beer detail page, you can read a description about that style. Learn a little bit more. Um, get some details about maybe how it's brewed or uh, some history, almost like what we cover in this show. And, uh, and reference it there. So we've also made additions to those pages for these new styles. If you're looking for kind of a, a way to, to learn more about them. So this time around, we've added both the New England Pale and India Pale Ale. Uh, we've added a variety of cider styles, basically breaking those out and um, kind of creating the subcategories of dry, sweet, fruit, and herb slash spiced. We've also added the Kentucky Common, um, which is kind of an older style that is making its way back. We're also adding the Brown India Pale Ale and the Lichtenheiner, which is a sour smoked style ale. You can see a full list of all these updates as well as the badges that they qualify for by heading over to updates.untapped.com and look for the new styles post. This week, we've also got a new core badge coming out. This will be for National Beer Day, which is coming up April 7th. You can unlock this one by checking into any beer on that day. National Beer Day, for those who don't know, is a holiday celebrated here in the United States every year on April 7th that marks the end of Prohibition. Checking in and getting that badge every year is one of my favorite things about (laughs) about National Beer Day. Our guest today is a Richmond, Virginia native and the creator of a newly recognized holiday that I think that we can all get behind called National Beer Day. Justin Smith, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's great to be here. So how, how did you get started in beer? What was, what was your kind of craft beer journey? Uh, well, you know, when I uh, turned 21, um, I honestly, I didn't think I liked beer, uh, but I was under the false impression that uh, all beer tasted um, like your premium fizzy, you know, American premium beers. Um, it wasn't until my buddy Jason Harris, uh, I mean, I was about 23, I guess, at the time, introduced me to uh, Killian's and Newcastle, I think, were my my gateway beers. Um, and I finally realized that, you know, hey, not all beer tastes the same. There's so many different variations of what you can do with beer. Uh, the way I describe beer is it is the quintessential 
uh, pairing of um, food and culinary experience in beverage form. There's there's nothing you can do with a different beverage that you you can um, that you can't do with beer. Uh, there's just so many different flavors and stuff you can put in there. So. Uh, Legend Brewery is one of the local ones around here, the oldest brewery in Richmond. Um, their Legend Brown, I think, is uh, was one of my favorites at the beginning, still one of my favorites. I actually just uh, had one last night and keep them in my fridge all the time. That's <laughs> that's kind of where I where I came from beer-wise. That sounds very familiar. Newcastle was one yeah. of my, my gateways, of course, for sure. So now that we know about your beer, why don't we learn a little bit more about you? Sure. Uh, so my background is law and public policy. Uh, it's when, uh, what I went to school for. I still um, actually help breweries around uh, Virginia with different type of legislative endeavors, You know, whether it's opening up in a uh, particular county because the zoning regulations are difficult. Um, I, just, I still know a lot of people in that political realm, so I'm able to you know, get in there and, and help where I can. Uh, most recently in Virginia, I was able to help get a law passed that allowed breweries to uh, still have dogs in their uh, serving area if they want. A lot of breweries have, you know, like a uh, you know Dog Thursday or something where you can come in, you know, bring your well-behaved dog, something like that. Um, I am currently enrolled at the Professional Craft Brewers uh, class at the University of Richmond, um, and it's something that I just kind of uh, ran into. It's a pretty amazing course. Um, they don't just teach you how to brew beer, and they don't just teach you the biology and the chemistry behind it, but they teach you how to open your own brewery. So um, all of the things you wouldn't think of, you know, do you need one phase or three phase, uh, you know, electricity running to your brewery? What type of heat do you want? Are you going to use a boiler? Are you going to use steam? What type of cooling? If you are, how are you going to run it? Um, so I'm doing that. I also I own my own business called Beer Me LLC where we own and operate uh, five different beer trails here in Virginia, um, work with about 70 different breweries, make it easy for you to, you know, when you go to a, a section or a different region in Virginia, um, how to find all the different breweries around there, give you a little bit of background about it, um, you know, what they're known for, and then, uh, you know, kind of break Virginia up into very easy to get to uh, places. Um, I kind of did that. Uh, just uh, on a whim by accident. Um, I was uh, putting together a list of all the different breweries in Virginia. We have over 220 breweries now. And I was trying to figure out, hey, if I'm going to go visit all of them, how am I going to get there? So I put together a map um, and I started uh, color coding the different areas where where beer trails already existed, found huge swatches of Virginia that didn't have beer trails and I uh, color coded them, you know, if they were going to be here, what would they look like? How would I section it, put it together? Um, and then I started having breweries reach out to me and say, hey, uh, we like your idea. We'd like to be a part of it. And it just kind of kind of steamrolled from there. Um, at Beer Background, I, I uh, collaborate with different uh, breweries for National Beer Day. For example, this year I'll be doing a collaboration with two different Richmond breweries uh, three notched. I am brewing a, or actually brewed. It'll be released on April 6th, which we uh, lovingly refer to as new beers Eve. Um, and I'll be brewing a American Imperial coffee stout with them. Uh, that'll be released on April 6th. Then with steam bell, another local brewery, uh, I brewed with them a white stout, uh, that we're releasing on national beer day. Uh, and I'll be there. And, and if anybody wants to come have a, 
a drink with the Godfather of National Beer Day. They can come find me, and uh, we'll sit down and have some beer. I think we need to do a remote show. Yeah, no kidding, huh? We got we got to get out there. Um, so, I mean, speaking of National Beer Day, what was what was the whole impetus? It sounds like you were sort of a part of the policy of craft beer, and with Ooh. a with a rich background in beer yeah. and um, policy and law, that would make a lot of sense. But where where exactly did it come together? Man, it was uh, it was completely an accident. Um, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings. I can even tell you which table. It was on uh, March the 1st of 2009. And I was sitting there with my friend Jason Bellups and my other buddy Mike Connolly. And this guy walks by on his way to the bathroom holding a beer and says, hey, happy National Beer Day. And we're all like, yay, beer. You know, uh, I'm being a fan of history. I went home and I looked it up. Um, and it turns out that March 1st is, is an Icelandic holiday. And there it celebrates uh, 75 years, the end of Prohibition there after 75 years. Uh, so my buddy, Mike Connolly, who isn't even from America, he's from Liverpool, England, he said, hey, man, we need to start U.S. National Beer Day. And, and I'll be honest, at the very beginning, I told him it was a stupid idea. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, I said, no, if there was a reason to celebrate beer, it would already exist because <laughs> who doesn't love beer? So uh, he kept on coming after me about it. And I said, look, you know, I'll, I'll do some research in the history. And if I can find a day that should be celebrated as such, we'll start a Facebook page or something. So it turns out in 1933, during the Prohibition era, there was a law signed called the Cullen Harrison Act. It was signed by FDR on March the 23rd and went into effect on April 7th. Now, it didn't officially end Prohibition, but what it did is it redefined an intoxicating beverage under the Volstead Act. So now for the first time in 13 years, you can buy, sell, and drink beer as long as it's under 4% alcohol by volume or 3.2% alcohol by weight. Um, and so it's a very beer-specific holiday because you can't do liquor under 4%. And you can't uh, – or wine actually was never outlawed during Prohibition. Individual families could brew up to 200 gallons per year for personal use. You just couldn't sell it. So it's a, it's a very beer-specific holiday. We started a Facebook page. And uh, we invited all of our friends to join it. We had maybe you know 300 people thought, hey, this, this sounds like fun. And then a guy in uh, Colorado named Eli Sheodovich, uh, who was an author for uh, – he did a lot of freelance writing for The Examiner. Um, and I think he might have had uh, perhaps a little bit of selfish interest in it. His birthday happens to be April 7th. But he picked it up, ran with it, wrote a story, talked about how it was the greatest, uh, greatest holiday he'd ever heard of. And uh, from there, it, it just kind of snowballed, it, honestly, to the fact where Untapped put a badge together starting in 2011 to where if you checked in a beer on National Beer Day, you earn this National Beer Day badge. And that is what has really been uh, kind of the, the driving factor now for keeping National Beer Day in the forefront, especially on April 7th. Um, I mean, it's with trends worldwide now on Twitter. Uh, every year because when you check into a badge hashtag national beer day there it is it's perfect and that badge will be coming back again this year of course yeah. um april 7th check in any beer and it will be unlocked well and it's it's not just a, a social media phenomenon i guess it's also recently been recognized in the state of virginia can you tell me a little bit about how that happened so i uh i reached out to um the governor uh last year governor mcauliffe who was a, a fantastic governor in Virginia for craft beer. He uh, kind of um, gave himself and went by the moniker of the craft beer governor. I think he was at every craft brewery opening 
uh, anywhere in Virginia at the time. So I reached out to his office and asked if they could issue a gubernatorial proclamation to officially recognize it on April 7th. Um, his, his office was happy to do it. They issued the gubernatorial proclamation. It now hangs in the Virginia Beer Museum in Virginia, which is the first state beer museum in the country. Um, I'm on the board of directors there, so I, I gave it to them. Of course you are. It's on loan there. Um, and then from there, uh, Congressman Dave Bratt, uh, who is my congressman, uh, put it on the congressional record, recognized it there. Um, this year, House Joint Resolution 90 officially recognizes National Beer Day on the General Assembly or our state legislature uh, calendar. It'll be on their website and something that we recognize now every year in Virginia. Um, and I'm working with some federal legislators now to have it officially recognized nationwide, hopefully in the next year or two. Um, I, I can't promise anybody that will have the day off like a bank holiday to stay home and drink beer. But, uh, you know, wouldn't that be a great idea if yeah. we could get that done? <laughs> Definitely. So on its journey to becoming a nationally recognized holiday, how, how, can, how can we and the untapped community help with this? Or how can we, you know, continue to celebrate and advocate for our own official National Beer Day? Well, uh, one of the best ways to do it is uh, everybody who has a favorite craft brewery or a favorite place they enjoy drinking beer, um, you know, go ask them, hey, what are we doing to celebrate National Beer Day this year? Um, and if they tell you they've never heard of it, you know, give them a brief history about it. It's April 7th every year. It's not a random holiday. It does have historical significance. Um, one of the things I've been told often when I'm telling someone about National Beer Day who's never heard about it before is they'll say, well, I, I thought every day was National Beer Day. Um, my typical response is, hey, you know what? Just like Independence Day, there is a specific historic event that we recognized, but that should be celebrated all year long. So, you know, yes, yes, we love beer, yay beer. We love independence. We celebrate that all year long. But April 7th is the day that we recognize the ability to drink the other 364 days a year that we might not otherwise have. Uh, um, they can also, you know, follow me on Twitter, Godfather of NBD. Um, and then I have a Facebook page, National Beer Day, and then I also Justin Smith, uh, Godfather of National Beer Day. You can find me there. And when it gets to the point where we're looking at trying to get things passed federally regulations, um, I'll have that out there where people people can um, check that out. I'll, I'll you know give them maybe a script, call their representatives, and say, hey, this is what we want. Hopefully, it'll make it a little bit easier to pass. But I can't imagine anybody being against recognizing beer for National Beer Day. I mean, it, even if you look at it historically from a legal perspective, um, even if you don't like beer, there's never been another time in our country's history where our government has taken away a liberty and then said, ah, you know what, we made a mistake. Here, do, you have it back, do it again. 18th and 21st Amendment. So, hey, even if you don't like beer, yay freedom. So in the beginning, you did mention, you know, that the idea came together while you were with friends out of Buffalo Wild Wings. And, you know, in our initial exchange, um, you sent over a uh, YouTube video, which was actually a Buffalo Wild Wings ad. While watching through that, I came to a point where you're actually mentioned. How, how does it feel to be kind of the center point of a Buffalo Wild Wings the commercial? The literal center point of, of an entire commercial. They have a photograph of you. Yeah, so it was it was interesting. Um, I had somebody reach out to me randomly through one of my social media pages. Uh, he said he worked for Buffalo Wild Wings. It was actually from Milwaukee. Um, did a lot of their advertising out there and said, "Hey, you know, are you the guy who started National Beer Day?" And I said, "Yeah, that's that's me. I'm the guy." He said, "Well, you know, we see in all of the tellings of how National Beer Day came to be, probably one one or two out of every five we see mention something about 
Buffalo Wild Wings, and that's where you came up with the idea. Is there any truth to that? I said, yeah. I, I mean, I could even point to the table I was sitting at when we came up with the idea. Um, and he said, well, have you ever done anything with a national brand in the advertising? And I said, no, I, I, no, not to date. And he said, well, I'm going to send you a script. I want you to go ahead and read it. Let me know what you think. So I had to sign a non-disclosure. They send me over this script. I take a look at it. Uh, I made one small change. Uh, I think at the very end of the, the national beer day commercial, it says, you know, he's not dead. You idiot. He lives in Richmond. You can send him a friend request. And I said, nah, let's change that. I don't need, you know, 1.6 million people sending me a friend request that I don't know. Just change it to, you can follow him on Twitter. And so they made that change. Um, they were talking about originally shooting that in Richmond, Virginia at the Buffalo wild wings, where we came up with the idea and having me in the commercial, uh, it didn't work out to do that, you know, budgetary constraints, et cetera. So I ended up shooting it in California. But they asked me for several pictures of myself. So I sent them over six different pictures. But the one that you'll see in the commercial has me with an epic mustache. Um, it was like nine months. I didn't shave at all. Uh, it was right after No Shave November, and I just kept on not shaving. And uh, I shaved it all off in pieces. And the last thing I left was the mustache. And I had this you know, handlebar mustache for maybe about a week, two weeks. And so I sent them that picture. I instantly knew that was the one they were going to use. And it is. If you watch the video, they have the shrine of me behind the bar with that mustache. Um, so they, they shot the video. It, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't actually in the video, but for that picture the guy who played me is, you know, some paid actor over there in, in California. But, uh, man, it, I just started a, a new job back in January. Um, and or actually July rather. And it was the first thing that got passed around the office was the commercial. <laughs> and so everybody in this like, you know, 500 person agency has seen this video of me and the mustache and national beer day. So, you know, they'll say, Hey, there's the beer guy. Um, which you know, in my opinion is a pretty cool reputation to have. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I will. I, I'm glad that you can confirm the authenticity of the mustache because yes. after seeing the commercial, I was like, wait, this is like some sort of a old timey photoshopped, like, there's no way to hear that it it was real. Just adds so much extra to the, it. The sepia tone and everything. Just it, yeah, like no, he's not dead, you idiot. Like it's, <laughs> just beat for beat. It was yeah, it was a great commercial. So they did put that filter on it, the sepia tone. You know, I've, I've got the original picture. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, seeing my my face in a, in a national commercial, at least you know, internet and, and social media wise. We'll be sure to include a link to that video in the show notes so everyone can see. Justin, thank you so much for for taking the time to join us, man. It, it, was, it was a really good conversation and really enlightening. If There's a lot more, too, you can read about um, on your blog if you're interested in uh, reading in more detail more about National Beer Day. Justin, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Now let's take a look at some of the sponsored badges we have coming up for you to unlock on Untapped. All right, the first one that we've got here is Founders PC Pills. You can earn this by checking into one Founders Brewing PC Pills during the month of April, the entire month of April. They say it's pleasantly crisp, perfectly clean, and profoundly crushable. PC Pills is our take on the classic Pilsner style. Piney Chinook, pleasantly citrus cascade, and punchy centennial make this an easy drinker with floral hop characteristics. It sounds really good. Yum. Especially with spring coming up here. I am very excited to crack into this one. Next up, we have quite a doozy. This is the follow-up to the uh, NC Beer Month is coming. Now we have Welcome to NC Beer Month or North Carolina Beer Month. This badge can be unlocked by checking into one beer from a North Carolina-based brewery during the month of April. 
you can find a list of those breweries on our blog, which is at blog.untap.com. But that's not all. For users who are in North Carolina, you can also unlock the companion badge, which is the North Carolina Beer Passport. This badge has three different levels. You can unlock the first level by checking into any beer at five unique venues from the list on our blog, which as listed before is blog.untap.com. We'll also add a link to the show notes. This can be unlocked between March 30th and April 30th. You can unlock each additional level uh, by checking into five more unique venues up to level three. So 15 different unique venues will get you that level three. Make sure that the venue that you're at from the qualifying list is added to your check-in for it to count. Adding an extra layer to this entire badge, we actually have a giveaway going on from the folks at North Carolina Beer Month. For every level of the North Carolina Beer Passport badge that you unlock, you will earn an entry to win one of four unique North Carolina beer trips. The four unique beer getaways that you could win include a trip to Asheville, Durham, the Outer Banks, or Brevard. We'll be sure to include a link for more details in the show notes. The North Carolina Beer Passport Badge is only available if you are in North Carolina checking into unique venues there, as well as the giveaway is only available to residents of North Carolina. So good luck and be sure to check in for your chance to win. Last up today, our friends at Lagunitas are back with a number of badges available throughout the month of April, all revolving around their yearly release of Waldo's Special Ale. As you may or may not know, Lagunitas has a strong connection with the marijuana culture of Northern California, an example of which is in their past they actually released an IPA that was made with cannabis. The Waldo Special Ale is dedicated to the Waldos, a group of guys that in 1971 met every afternoon at 420 and set out in search of the secret garden near Point Reyes. They never found it, but they always kept hunting. This beer is dedicated to that spirit of always seeking and hunting for treasure. It's actually the dankest and hoppiest beer ever brewed at Lagunitas. Some of the badges surrounding this uh, include Waldo Special Ale Treasure Hunting. This one can be unlocked by checking into one Waldo Special at any venue. You must tag that venue, so be sure to add it to your check-in in order to unlock the badge. Uh, this badge can actually be leveled up to level 3 by exploring more venues with the Waldos. Another one that they have is the Puff Puff Pass Badge. You can earn this one by checking into a Waldo Special Ale and tagging a friend. You can also unlock another badge by checking in a Waldo Special Ale at the same time the famous Waldos would meet each day. You only need to do this once because this is not a leveled badge. And yet another badge can be unlocked by checking in on Lagunitas' favorite day of the year. We're sure you can figure that one out. <laughs> the heart of this beer and badge is all about hunting for treasure and uncovering secrets, so good luck. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com, coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off. Let's move on to our Style of the Week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. This week we're going to take a look at the boozy sweet barley wine. The first known barley wines are from Britain, and in 1903, Bass & Company first advertised a beer that was called a barley wine. And if you are wondering, yes, that is Bass, as in the company that 
is mostly known for their pale ale. The only bass I know is Bass Pro Shops here in California. Those really huge outdoorsy stores, not the same, I assume. No, not at all. Okay, all right. I must not know my... Although there is a connection between probably beer and fishing. There is here in this studio at the moment, yes. With the, the Bonito Flakes in my beer, yes. Something that's so interesting about this story is that at the time, common brewing practices basically used a single mash for all of the beers that they planned to brew. Uh, This process is called a party guile. Basically, the idea is that you use one wort to brew all of your beers. The first runs that were taken from this wort were usually used for stronger beers like stouts, and the later runs were used for progressively lighter beers. Basically saying that there is less sugar less malted sugar or whatever, the less sugar in the beer and less sugar to turn into alcohol, thus making it a lighter beer. At the time, Bass wanted to create a beer that would rival the attributes of grape wine. The goal here being to offer a beer that wine drinkers might be interested in having. The first barley wine that they created and advertised was actually called Bass Number no. 1 um, because they named their beers based off of the runs from the wort. So you could say, I guess, that uh, the folks, the first folks who tried this were all about that bass, number one. <laughs> Cricket noise here. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Honestly, I think you need that. Over time, the barley wine kind of lost its popularity in England and trickled off a bit to more of a niche beer. But here in America, the barley wine dates back to 1975 when a brewery that we all know Anchor Brewing decided to continue with this party guile style of brewing, making barley wine for the first time in their San Francisco brewery. This barley wine, which is still around today, is known as Old Foghorn Barley Wine Style Ale. As you can guess, um, American barley wine is less restrained than the English styles and has a higher ABV and oftentimes stronger flavor. So here's the point where I tell you that I don't know and I can't tell you the last time I had a barley wine, or even the first time. I think the first time may have been at Hoodoo recently in in Fairbanks, Alaska. But other than that, it's not a style I frequent at all. And I'm sensing a bit of a theme with me here on this podcast that I only we've only talked about styles that I don't have that much of, which I think is great. I really do think that that's a, a nice way to uh, help round out my palate and, and get me trying some new things. Um, and learning a lot more about the fickle nature of taste buds in Britain and uh, how styles have come and go over history. It's really interesting. I will, I will second that in the fact that I don't remember the last time I had a barley wine, but they are, they are a beer that is pretty regularly released by some breweries that we know. Um, Bigfoot by Sierra Nevada, that's a yearly release that comes out. Yep. And there are quite a few others. Um, I, they are definitely very strong. They're very tasty. Um, but obviously you've got to take it slow on those guys. Well, and I've also heard that barley wines can be, uh, very hopped. Like if you're looking for a beer that is not an IPA, but you're still looking for something that is very quintessentially craft beer and something that is really heavy and heavily hopped. Um, or even balanced with both alcohol, sweetness, and uh, hops, a barley wine is is one that you would want to to try out. I think the other interesting part of this is is that it's called a party guile, which one, when I think of party guile, my mind goes directly... Party guile. Well, party guile is something different. Party guile is after drinking this entire umami monster. Uh, party guile, though, is like Ryu's friend, 
who's just the, oh, he's the wingman who <laughs> who you you want to bring around for the party but once once party guile gets into those barley wines it's it's all downhill from there i actually have a barley wine sitting in my fridge at home i can't remember what the name of it is off the top of my head but i do remember that it is insanely old i'm talking like Pre 1903 pre-2010 okay okay so it's not the bass number one then no, okay. unfortunately no that would be <laughs> quite insane it'd be a, a, a historical relic is it one that you've had before no i have never had it it was given to me um at a beer share okay at one point by a friend okay several years ago i don't know where he got it somehow i ended up with it and it's been sitting in my fridge to the point where the label is peeling off and oh. i have no idea what it's going to be like if it will be any good, it's a bit of a science experiment, and I think it's something that we'll need to take a take a closer look at. Okay. All right. I mean, I you asked me to bring this beer in. I don't know if I want you to bring that one in. I'm a, I'm personally a little scared, but uh, that's that's an interesting story. At least I love that you just have a, a beer in your fridge that you have a story for, but you know nothing about. It 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 sort of is its own entity. It's been sitting there so long that I can't I I can't remember what it's called. I think the label somewhere next to it. It's definitely not on it. <laughs> okay. I'll have to dig it out and get some more info. Oh, man. Um, we're talking about speaking of drain pores from, from the last episode, huh? Yeah. I, I would be, well, the thing with barley wines though, is that they're so high ABV, right? That you're supposed to age them. I assume. Is that sort of the, is that the understanding that they, they you can't, keep quite you can't well? age them. Yes. Okay. So you don't have to drink them fresh. You don't have to drink them aged. They're uniquely named wine and ale at the same time. So I, I get like this mixed idea of, do I age it? Is it supposed to, do I have it with dinner? What do I do with it? It's more of a dessert, like post dinner ah, okay. thing. I would, I would picture, especially with all of the boozy sweetness that you tend to get from them. If you want to learn more about this style, we'll include some links in the show notes. Beer update. It smells like fish in here. I do like it more now than it's I... sweet. Like the sweetness is coming out a little bit more. Yes. Um, the flavors... I don't know if my tongue's healing from our hot lunch or if uh, the flavors are just becoming a little more pronounced. I just love the, the Godzilla-like character on the front. Um, whose mouth is full of fire, surrounded by smoke and some sort of burning ruins. Um, It's the umami monster, dude. It's coming. It's true. It's here. It's already here. It's in my glass and it's warming up. Let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. Our first article here is from foodandwine.com. Step aside, latte art. Beer foam is in. So, lattes. Are you an espresso latte drinker? It depends on the mood I'm in, um, but I will at times go for, you know, a nice latte. I like uh, what's called a cortado. Okay. Which is just sort of uh, uh, milk foam and espresso, I believe two shots. I'm not a barista. I don't know anything about coffee. Um, But I I do like lattes um and i like when they when they present them to you you say you're gonna have them there yeah they'll come in this really nice ceramic cup the top will be very nicely designed and i know for a fact there are these latte art competitions of folks like you know making a bear out of foam and putting a face on there or 
Um, I have also seen at a, a local coffee shop, um, they will take a photo of you and put a photo of you on top of the the coffee itself. Is that what this is like? This is just that that latter part there is exactly what this is like. This really, uh, yep. A Maryland based company called Ripples has unveiled their new um, machine called Beer Ripples. It's a device that uses 3D printing technology to add beautiful high resolution images to beer foam in seconds. They say using an edible malt based ink. Now to tie this back, this same company did create something called Coffee Ripples, which. I'm, I am assuming is basically the same thing. That must be what I'm thinking of. You can choose art from the brand's existing library of images, or you can even use the free Ripples app to submit any image from your phone. So you can take a photo of your dog and have that show up on, on your cup of, or your glass of beer now. Um, as the article goes on to point out, this is something that could get a little less safe as your buzz continues to grow. <laughs> sure. Taking photos of who knows what. We're going to have some some crazy trolling meme beers going on. Yeah. Um, I, I This is really cool. There was at one point over at Dodger Stadium here in L.A. Um, a soft serve beer foam machine. So they would take real cold beer put the beer into the soft serve machine and serve frozen beer foam on top of the beer. I would love some sort of combination of the two of these things. Did you try that? I didn't try it. No, oh, they don't. I, so far as I know, they don't offer it anymore at the, at the ballpark. I would have been really curious to know what that ended up being. Like. Yeah. I, I, so far as I remember, it was either a Sapporo or, or a beer like that. Um, because it, it, it is not as popular here in the States. Obviously I don't see it anywhere, but it, it sounded so interesting and something that I would want to try. It sounds it sounds really cool. Uh, don't don't expect these machines to start popping up at your local bar very quickly, as they they sell for up to three thousand dollars, and they require an annual subscription of fifteen hundred dollars. Wow! But um, in in a world where Instagram and having the right photo and sharing all that stuff on the social. Uh, is super important for some places that might be a small price to pay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and maybe they're going to start serving you uh, in these square beer glasses now so you can get even more image instead of just that, you know, the circle at the top of the glass. We need to find a brewery to partner partner with and print the badge that you're going to unlock on top of your beer oh phone. Oh my gosh, that would be incredible. What's this? Oh, check in. <laughs> I I think this is really cool. Now, all I'm imagining is going to a brewery and getting a set of like five tasters, all with different selfies of me on top of the beers. It'll be your cats. It, or my cats, yeah. Just a taster for every cat. Exactly. I think this is, this is a great idea. All right, next up, we've got an article here from QZ.com, Quartz, love Quartz. Uh, scientists figured out how to make an IPA without the hops. Which is mind-blowing. I know. I don't don't know how I feel about this. So these are scientists at the University of California, Berkeley, and they've figured out a way to make microbes do double duty and add hoppy flavors to lab-made pale ales that didn't include any actual hops in the recipe. So, so far as I know, this isn't hop oils. This isn't extractions from hops, actual hops. This is not um, other plants that kind of taste like hops. This is actually isolated from various oils naturally produced by hops and the the flowering plants that give hoppy beards hoppy flavor are then created using these these genes 
that are isolated. The scientists use them to genetically modify the DNA of brewer's yeast so that fungi, which are the ones that are producing this, would make the same bitter oils that the hop plant does. So you're using another plant to make the same oils that the humulus lupulus plant, uh, which gives beer its hoppy flavor, would. I this just seems so wrong because it's not a hop I because know. it's not a not, not a green I mean I don't expect at any point in time here to start seeing mushrooms on the front of a, a beer label um, being used to represent the bitter flavor um, but this may be an even more scalable way of producing these these bitter beers um, especially in a world where we're making we're making IPAs. The brewers are making IPAs, and the palates of craft beer drinkers are moving so much more towards, you know, the the low IBU IPAs, which still use a ton of hops. They can be double dry hopped. They can be, you know, all those different types of hops. But hop flavor is quintessentially craft beer. Yeah. Plus, with um bigger breweries buying up all of the hop harvest here and there and just the general shortage of hops during the harvest. This is a way to kind of counteract that. Now I'm curious to know, especially for, for fungi used in this experiment, what would be the, the growing environments where fungi would be able to grow versus where hops are able to grow. So hops, obviously California, Pacific Northwest um, being cultivated in those areas sort of, you know, temperate weather, right? Fungi grow in much different climate. You can probably even factory farm them in a way where they're so much more temperature controlled and even, you know, more tightly packed together that you're able to have more hop oils extracted per square meter than you would from like a whole orchard of hops, right? It sounds like a really interesting proposition for the market that may eventually go that way. So after a number of trial brews, they found that the genes from the mint and basil worked best when spliced into a strain of brewer's yeast. Interesting. So that those genes are used then to create the fungi that produce the hop oils. But from mint and basil, it's not what I would expect. Yeah, I can't really wrap my head around that. But in a double blind taste test of two batches of the final hop-free pale ale, Compared to a regularly brewed pale ale, tasters found the hop-free beer to have more of the style's characteristically bitter flavors. So, so basically, the double blind is saying that the fake hops were more hoppy than the real hops. That's what it's sounding like to me. So I've had, I've had beers with hop oil in them, and they do come off as almost like they taste exactly like what the word is. You know, IPA, pale ale, bitter, that's what they are. What about the, we've had a couple of beers with the lupulin powder. Yes. Same idea? Um, I, I would say the hop oil imparts a little strange, um, like like tinniness or or dryness to the beer, less so than the, the lupulin powder, uh, in my opinion. I've also had coffee, cold brew coffee with hop oil, which kind of applies that same bittering agent to something that is so super flowery and like an Ethiopian. Um, it, it was a strange experience. Um, but I can only, um, I can only imagine, uh, the, the possibilities of this, especially in the age of being able to 
change the DNA of brewer's yeast or to to patent the DNA mm. of a particular brewer's yeast to say like this is this is our yeast no one else can use this and we're going to use this to make beers at scale at a much cheaper way that's I mean, a it's game changing it could be could be all right so let's give a, a little bit of a beer update here on how how this beer has changed over time and see if it see if it's living up to what what my expectations were so i would say it smells a lot more for lack of a better word fishy it's got a lot of the uh the ocean smell the the oceanic smell yeah, in there i'm getting that but it does also it smells a whole lot like walking into a a japanese restaurant or a ramen restaurant and you you are just hit with this wall of flavor and and um like palate quenching like you just i want to have food now like i know we just had lunch but i'm ready for more food uh, it's it's really good the flavors definitely the it seems like it's sweetened up a bit i would say so yeah yeah, yeah. The, the kind of the the spicy pepperiness of it has kind of died down a little bit um i'm not getting as much of the like bitterness even though we kind of determined that might be due to having this post lunch but it, it it seems to be um it's a little harsh at first i think yeah it's definitely it's it's like it's lightened up in terms of the flavors but not in like a fading away sort of sense but in just a um, more enjoyable kind of sweetness yeah i think the other part is um it also poured really uh, not too carbonated and now as it's sort of warmed up um it foams a lot more when when it's in your mouth it it kind of it sort of like it it opens up as you as you put it in just a bunch of mouth sounds opens up as you put it in your mouth anyway i like it it's really good we've got another article here from foodandwine.com entitled this new beer is made with szechuan buttons and we can't wait to try it all right what are szechuan buttons First off, um, let's start off with what the beer part of this is. So there's a new beer coming out from Bronx Brewery called Yokozuna Wit. It actually, it came out um, a couple weeks ago, and last update I saw on their Instagram, it is sold out. So I'm very sad about that, but I thought this was really interesting what it was being made with. Um, This is a citrusy Bellion-style wit beer, um, and it's featuring the spicy tingle of the Sichuan button. Um, It's the first of a series that they're calling B-Tracks, which is a collaboration between Bronx Brewery and Baldor Specialty Foods. Um, the seasonal brew is named after Sumo Wrestling's highest rank and features orange Sumo citrus flavors. It sounds really good. So oh, off the break here. Yeah, no, it, all those flavors sound great, but we'll get in now to your question of what is this Szechuan button? It's actually the, the Szechuan button, which is actually also known as buzz buttons or Sancho buttons or electric buttons, is the bud of a flower called Echmela alersia. It's a bud that has a grassy taste followed by a strong tingling or numbing sensation, um, which often causes excessive salivation and kind of has a cooling sensation on the throat. Interesting. Almost like um, uh, what we what you would expect from like a Halls or uh, the active ingredient in... Um Cough drops, lozenges, things like that. Yeah, and how how this plays into the beer, I'm unique. I'm I'm particularly curious about. Um, I actually I do have experience with this with the Szechuan buttons. Oh, 
Okay. How not in a beer, I assume, but but elsewhere. This is yet another Las Vegas story. Um, there is a there is a bar in Las Vegas in the Cosmopolitan called the Chandelier Bar. Um, it it's like a three story um, cocktail bar uh, that kind of looks like a giant chandelier. So each level has a different list of menus, and you can kind of work your way up or down, however you want to go. Um, but they have one signature drink. It's actually, I don't know if it was ever on the menu, but it is no longer. And you see people coming in all the time to get it. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what the drink's called, but it, it is like a, it's like a ginger margarita. And what they do is they toss one of the little Szechuan buttons on the top. And the idea is that you are supposed to take the button, the whole little like flower bud. It's dried. It's pretty small. It's the actual flower. So I'm looking at a photo of it here. It is the actual flower bud plucked off, including the stem part, um, and placed on top of the drink. Yeah, so it's they, not, it, an, not an ingredient in no, the no, drink they necessarily. Literally, they put it on top and they tell you basically, um, take the button, put it in your mouth, chew it for 20 seconds on both sides of your mouth, swallow, and then drink the cocktail. So after being at this place multiple times and seeing people do this and just being a little little wary, we finally just decided to go with it, and we tried it ourselves. And now the tingling, drooling, salivation thing, it's 100% true. Again, I don't know how this would play into a beer because I can't imagine that they're going to have a beer that they're going to brew and market that's just going to cause people to just drool everywhere and have their mouths go numb. But it basically... It, Imagine when you go to the dentist and they numb your mouth. Yeah. And you know that you're drooling and you know you're salivating, but you can't do anything about oh, it. Oh, no. And then add on to that the idea of, you're going to think I'm crazy, but licking a nine volt battery. Okay. No, no, no. I know. If I know, anybody's I know what you're ever, talking about. Yeah. I, growing up, I was like, how do you test a nine volt battery? Just touch it to your tongue. No, don't do that. <laughs> I, I, we do not advocate for that whatsoever. No, don't do it. But uh, but that's the that's, that's the idea. You, it's like this weird wow. this weird electric zap feeling in your mouth, and it lasts uh, I don't know a good five minutes, maybe more. It was one of the strangest sensations I've ever had. And it 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 boosted the experience and flavors of the drink that served with it. So now now I'm curious about the drink because we were talking about the the sumo citrus flavors, orange sumo, uh, I guess like satsuma uh, style um, oranges. What what was the flavor of the drink that you had? It was it was like a ginger based margarita. Okay, is what they they called it. So it's it's very. Um, Bright, bright, and okay. kind of you know sour and puckery, puckery for sure. Yeah, okay, interesting. So it elevated it to a completely different level. It was it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend trying it. I, granted, I will say that different people had different reactions over the course of the time that we saw them there. Um, I would venture to guess that would be based on how many other cocktails they'd had leading sure. up to the point. Sure. Some people freaking out that they can't feel their face. Some people just saying, hey, this is cool. Oh, no. I mean, your mileage may vary. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it was it was an experience, and I would definitely do it again. All right. The next article that we've got here is the best glass for every style of beer explained, according to vinepair.com. This is their 2018 best beer glasses guide, and they say using proper glassware isn't just a thing because craft beer is trendy, according to vinepair.com. Once you get used to proper glassware, it's really hard to go back because pouring into a glass sets it free. It enhances your drinking experience in pretty much every way, from the visuals to the aromas to ultimately 
the taste. So we're going to go over some of the the styles that maybe you're just pouring straight into a plastic cup right now. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe you are just putting them all in a pint glass. Um, we're going to cover some of the the more popular styles of glasses and of beers. The first up on their list is lagers. Let me ask. Let me ask you, lagers. Okay. If you have a lager, you do you drink it straight from the can or the bottle? Do you, uh, do you pour it out? What, what's your typical lager fare? Before we get into what vinepair.com says for me, we should do. Um, either a can or just a standard pint glass. I'll be honest, majority of my drinks just go into a standard shaker. Um, easiest thing I can grab out of the cabinet. Sometimes a tulip if I'm feeling fancy. But for a lager? I, I just need something to put it in. <laughs> I until I a in, sippy cup. Let's just put them in a sippy until cup. Until I read this article, I didn't put too much thought into it. But it, some of the some of the interesting things here do make sense. So the the lager is best served in a flute, and they're not talking like a champagne flute or a musical instrument. Or a musical instrument that sure. would make a very interesting <laughs> session there. But basically, they're they're talking more of like a, a relatively small conical shaped, narrow at the bottom, with kind of a wider opening at the top. And the idea here is that it shows off the lager's clear and sparkling color, and then it also allows for the kind of the fluffy lager head to build at the top. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really interested too if there's something about the shape of the glass that keeps it cold during that time because a lager you want to drink the lager cold, and for me, a lot of times that is a, about putting it just keeping it in the can. I don't want to pour it out because then you're starting to lose temperature. Be sure you wrap it in an untapped koozie. Wrap it in a koozie, put it in. I, I've got a um, 12 ounce Yeti insulated can cover. It's a perfect companion for like a beach day. Um, that That's kind of my typical lager fare, but this sounds like it would look great. Mm. I just don't know the practical implications of pouring it out and having that much surface area being exposed to the open air. I know glass is an insulator, but not that great. It's a very good question. Another one we're going to pull from this list is the stout. Now, what would you typically do with that? A stout I would probably put into a tulip. Yeah, that's I I would definitely want to pour it out and I would want to get it like we were talking about in uh, episode 4, kind of get it you know, to room temperature a little faster, be able to enjoy the higher alcohol content of it and enjoy some, some more of the roastier malt flavor at a higher temperature. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's my typical, my typical. Fare. Yeah. I would go the same route. A tulip seems to be the better way to go for that. Um, so funny thing is that the stout actually has its own official glassware. Interesting. Um, the German glassmaker Spiegelau, uh, left hand brewing and rogue ales all teamed up in 2014 to, basically experiment with trying to figure out the best sort of glassware uh, to use for a stout. Um, they ended up coming up with something that, to me, kind of re- resembles a microphone. You've got kind of a narrower, smaller base that then opens up into more of a wider tulip shape. The idea here is that it's supposed to accentuate the coffee and chocolate notes. But they do go on to say that if you don't happen to have the fancy-schmancy official stout glass that... Um, an imperial pint glass or a nonic pint is actually the best way to go. Interesting. So I do. I'm looking at it here at at the Spiegelau stout beer glass set. Um, runs about fifty bucks. You can you can get it engraved, which is kind of cool. But it looks almost like a wine glass. Um, it narrows from the bottom to the middle section, and then it opens up again. So it reminds me very much of a, a glass that we're about to talk about, the IPA glass. 
Which you're exactly right, because in 2013, um, Spieglau again, they worked with Dogfish Head, Sierra Nevada, some of the people that we would associate with pale ales or India pale ales, or just good hoppy beers um, to create a special glass that would help accentuate the IPA. Um, same sort of idea like you just described. Um, it's kind of similar to a wine glass in the fact that it's got a smaller base, not nearly as thin as, say, like a wine glass. It's wide open. It's pretty pretty thick, but it goes up and narrows towards the center and then opens up again, more like a tulip. Um, and the idea here is that it, this one actually has some ridges that are built into the base, um, the side of the base. And these ridges are supposed to kind of ramp up the aroma. On Spieglau's website, it says the rippled pedestal base and round bowl showcase the varying aromatic profiles of this hop forward beer, preserving its frothy head and volatile components while maintaining a wide opening for the drinker to comfortably nose the beer or smell it, I guess. Interesting. So I have one of these at home too. I, these I've seen these around and they're very popular. What do you think? I've never used one. Um, I would say, have you noticed a difference? <laughs> do my IPAs taste better? Have you nosed your beer lately? I, I, I nose a little bit about beer, just a little bit. Um, but no, I, for this glass, I think the most important component for me is not necessarily the shape of the base. It is the thinness or the thickness of the glass at the top. So it is very much like we mentioned, like a wine glass, you get the, the very kind of, uh, crystally clear, super thin glass at the top of it. So that when you're tasting it, you aren't getting half of a mouth of, like super thick pint glass when you're trying to taste your beer you're getting this like really really thin um dainty glass in there that all it's doing is acting as a delivery mechanism for this tasty hopped beverage that you're enjoying if you don't happen to have the fancy ipa glass vine goes on to let you know that it is safe to use a tulip glass and then if you're a beer nerd and you want to take it up a notch you can always try using a teku glass um, they've risen in popularity in recent years thanks to their exaggerated, more angular tulip-like qualities. They have a very long stem, and apparently they've become very popular amongst IPA brewers. I think these things are really cool looking. They are. I've only ever had a, I think, a sour or a wild ale served in one okay. um, at, down here at the Firestone Walker Propagator in Venice. Um, they're really cool. I, I like them. They're just, I'd be afraid that I'd break it really easily. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's, there seems to be like this little lip built into it to kind of just kind of cup your, your bottom lip as you're enjoying the beer, which I like. The thing with this glass is that this is the exact token glass of beer Instagram, and any beer poured into this glass looks spectacular. So I will give it that. It's in, in that way, it is one of my favorite glasses that I've never had. Now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped. Have any questions for us? Send it over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's question comes to us from Jason on Facebook, and he is wondering how many people have achieved the Uber badge on Untapped. Now, what is the Uber badge? The Uber badge is one of our core level badges. It's based off of your unique check-ins. Um, when you first join the service, after your first check-in, you will earn the newbie badge, and you start working your way up from there elite and you've got 
After 25 uniques, you have Apprentice. After 50, you get Journeyman. After 100, you get Artisan. After 200 unique check-ins, you will have Master. And then after that, we have Legendary at 500. Now, unique check-in is when you check into a beer for the very first time. Yes, this one that you've never repeats. had before. Correct, correct. We go on to have a badge at 1,000 uniques. For the Uber badge, as we were just talking, the Uber badge is for checking into 10,000 unique beers on untapped wow that's different that's all different Ten thousand. so the the question there is how many people have earned this badge do you want to take a guess i don't know maybe a uh, 150 300 nope it's much smaller than that only really? 73 users have achieved uber status on the platform i mean ten thousand is incredible that is a a, a huge achievement and that would be just under four beers a day for seven years. Okay. All right. Tasters, <laughs> mostly tasters. <laughs> what level of taster please do they have? <laughs> Got to be blast through it all the way up to a hundred. So that, that equates to 0.001% of our users have unlocked this badge so far. I myself am nowhere near that. I am sitting at about 1,419 unique check-ins. And I am definitely not anywhere close to earning that. I would love to eventually one day get to that level, um, especially traveling the world, traveling the country, um, trying out new beers. But I'm only at 2,184. So I my next level that I'm really looking forward to is the elite level badge at 2,500 check-ins. So we'll see. We'll see when I get there. I'd love to hit that this year, though. Oh, I'm sure you will especially if we keep the show up and we try something new that we neither of us have. <laughs> here we here we are in episode 1000 and uh and I'm looking Kyle looking has joined. <laughs> Kyle has joined the Elite Club. That's right. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right, show notes for this episode will be available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us or you've got feedback, please would you connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram that's at untapped on all those platforms. And if you wouldn't mind taking a second to rate this show and write a review on Apple podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it. Your ratings and um, reviews help other people discover our show. And it really lets us know what you think. We'd love to know until then. Cheers. cheers.